Hi, welcome to the Branch Life Podcast. We're so happy you're joining us on our journey through the book of Matthew. Join us today as we talk through the way Jesus instructed us to live the good life. Welcome to Branch Life Church Online. My name is Josh, one of the pastors at Branch Life, and we are glad that you have logged in today. You're one going to stay tuned for our entire talk today as we continue our series on the good life. Some exciting stuff ahead. If you're watching the premiere of this, this is June 2020. We have started our summer months, and if you're local, you're invited on July 4th to our worship celebration all outside. We're having an outdoor worship service at 1030 followed by a July 4th cookout and we'd love for you to come. We'd love to meet you. We're so glad that you're worshiping with us. Hey, whether you're watching now or you're watching at some later date, uh, thanks for watching. Thanks for tuning in. We hope that this will encourage you. If you are watching on demand after July 4th, just ignore everything that I've just said because all of that has already happened. Hey, what hasn't happened yet is you have not yet heard this morning's teaching time, uh, all coming from Matthew chapter 6. We're going to dive into that in just a moment. A huge thank Thank you to everybody who gives on a regular basis to Branch Life Church. Uh, your guys' gifts are doing amazing things. You can do that anytime online. And we're continuing our walk through the book of Matthew. If you have not yet got your Matthew journal, we want to send one to you. So just make sure you fill out your connection card at branchlife.church and that you let us know on that card that you'd like a Matthew journal. We're going to need your address, so give us that. And we'll get in contact and get you these journals as quick as we possibly can. Hey, we're going to dive in. So grab your Bibles or grab your journals and let's go to Matthew chapter 6. All right, if you have your Bibles, uh, jump to Matthew chapter 6. We're continuing on in this Good Life series. Now, you may be thinking to yourself about the good life, and as we're talking about this, here's, here's what's going on. You are being told every day a story. You're being fed a narrative. You're being uh, broadcast and pushed on you the idea of what the good life is, and that story is a lie. 
We believe this story that comes to us through our television, in our neighborhoods, and, and as we watch these movies, that the good life is out there for us to get if we just have enough money, if we just get comfortable enough, if we live in the right place and have the right view of the mountain or the beach or the ocean, if we're able to buy the nicest cars, if we're able to find Mr. or Mrs. Right, and if we find all those things, if we get that just right, then you'll have the good life. Man, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount teaches us some radical ideas about what the good life really is. And his teaching goes against this story that we've been fed. And you know that this story that we're being told all the time is a lie because you're sitting there going, hey, if this life was so good, why am I so upset? Why am I so angry? Why am I so anxious? Why am I so depressed? Why am I so sad? In this moment in our history in 2021, we have an epidemic of anxiety, isolation, and stress and de-stress. Suicide rates are rising, not only for adults, but for children as well. Just in, in one of our local school districts over the past two months, there's been two suicides in the high school. We're seeing suicide rates increase amongst police officers, uh, amongst uh, doctors, even amongst pastors. We're seeing that there are people that are struggling with fear and anxiousness. They're struggling to to connect and and be with people. They're scared of crowds. They're anxious about what's going to happen tomorrow. There's, there's an increase in, in uh, depression and anxiety-related questions and medications and therapies. We are in a mental health emergency, not only in our nation, but in our world. And Jesus Christ tells us in this section of the Sermon on the Mount how we can have the good life Not only physically, but also mentally. How we can enjoy life, how we can have uh, happiness, and how we can have fulfillment each and every day. Not the easy life, but the good life, no matter what comes. This Sunday and next, this recording and next recording, if you tune in, we're going to be talking about this idea in two parts. The idea that we'll be covering is simply this. Mental health begins with a healthy heart. We believe that in this section of the Sermon on the Mount, this is exactly what Jesus is teaching. And maybe you're like that crowd that has gathered to see Jesus. Some of those there were all in with Jesus. They were followers of Jesus. They loved him and they wanted to learn more from him. Some of them were skeptical about Jesus and they didn't know if he was who he said he was. And so when Jesus said a phrase like this or presented this truth, they questioned it. Maybe you're questioning it as well. And some people were against Jesus and they said, yeah, right. I'll believe that when I see it. Now, here's the thing about truth. When it's true, it's true. And, and we don't Uh, We aren't upset about people asking questions about truth. You want to ask yourself, is this true? Is this real? Is Is that something that I need to understand that my mental health begins with my heart health? And what does that mean anyway? Let's unpack this in Matthew chapter six in part one of mental health begins with heart health. Matthew chapter six, if you have your Bibles or if you have your Bible journals, this is on page 32. It says this, 
uh, under the title, Lay Up Your Treasures in Heaven, in verse, starting in verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is a lamp of the body, and so if your eye is healthy, then your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, then your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. As we read Jesus' words today, let's pray that this will change our lives. God, use these words in a powerful, powerful way in our minds and in our hearts. And for any, Lord, that are out listening to this, that are struggling with discouragement, with anxiety, with depression, Lord, with thoughts of suicide, with, with, with fear, we pray, oh God, that you would be the answer to all of those things. God, we love you and we love that we can have this hope that comes in you. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Man, as we think about this idea today, Jesus is starting off this section of his teaching with a kind of a good news, bad news situation. I don't know which one you are. Do you like to get the good news first or do you like to get the bad news? I like to get the bad news first because I just like to get it over with and then I like to cheer myself up with the good news. So we're going to start where Jesus started. He started with the bad news. Now here's what he says in Matthew chapter 6 in verse 19. He says three things. First, he says earth is a really bad investment. Earth is a really bad investment. Second, he says earth is temporary. And third, he says earth is dangerous. Listen to verse 19. He says, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. It's a pretty simple command that we're given as he lays out these things. And first he says, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Earth is a really, really bad investment. I mean, just think about what's happened in our planet over the last year and a half. Who would have thought that there would be some sort of disease that would travel all around the world and it wouldn't just be a movie, it would be real life. If you watch 10 minutes of the evening news, your reaction to that is to grab your children, to lock all your doors, and never let them out of your sight again. There are scary, horrible, evil things happening all around us. If, if you're watching this again in June 2020-21, there is a rise in gun violence, and the Memorial Day holiday weekend was one of the most violent weekends on record around our country in major cities. It's, it seems like every other day there's a report of another mass shooting in a school or in a workplace or in a supermarket of some kind. What is going on? What Jesus told us in the Sermon on the Mount is what we see to be true, that the earth is a really bad investment, that the, the earth is broken. God has guaranteed to all of us that in this world, we will have trouble. Yet, what we find ourselves doing over and over and over again is we start investing in earth. We start investing in this world and we start trying to build up our own kingdoms here in this earth. But that's a bad idea because earth is a bad investment. That's the bad news. 
Why is the earth a bad investment? Well, first of all, it's temporary. Earth is not going to last forever in this form. There, there's nothing that lasts in this time, in this place. I, I, I just saw on the news this last week that the city of Miami is already underwater. What that means is if the oceans keep rising, and they are, that Miami eventually will be in the ocean. And at its current rate, its current clip, we're not talking about hundreds of years down the road. We're talking about tens of years down the road. So much so that the Army Corps of Engineers have come in and they've decided that there's nothing they can do to push back the ocean. When they built the city of Miami, when they started to settle it and buildings started to be built up, it was never going to be permanent. None of our cities, none of our buildings, none of our lives are permanent. We are just a vapor in this time. And whether you buy the nicest car, it's not going to last forever. Whether you find the perfect Mr. or Mrs. Right, that relationship is not going to last forever. Everything on this earth is temporary, yet we act like it's going to last Forever. The second thing that, that makes the earth a really bad investment is that earth is dangerous. <laughs> this is where thieves break in and steal. This is the thing I was watching on the news the other day where a 14-year-old girl was just sitting out in her neighborhood on the corner of her street waiting for a bus and some jerk pulls up in a car, comes out and tries to pick her up and kidnap her right in the middle of broad daylight waiting for the bus. Thankfully, she fought him off. I mean, she fought and she kicked and she screamed. She scared that guy and he went for a run. He went to get out of there. The police found him. He's been arrested and I hope he's put away for a very, very, very long time. I, I, I thought of my 12-year-old daughter waiting at the corner of our street. I'm like, she's never waiting for the bus alone again. There's crazies out there. There's evil people out there that do evil things. Listen, earth is dangerous. You may think that you've got all the protection in place, that you've built all the boundaries around you, but you realize that no matter what we do, there are still bad people around us doing bad things. What pipeline is being hacked today? What meat marketing mass production thing are they going to sabotage? Are our lights even going to work? We are surrounded by sinful, horrible, bad people. And they take stuff. And when we take time to build and protect and put our hope in the things of this world, it's not only not going to last, it could be taken from us. Earth is a bad investment. And Jesus is reminding of us in this, this verse when he says, hey, don't lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven because moth and rust corrupts and thieves break in and steal. But he doesn't just end there with the good news. He, that bad news. He gives us then the good news. And here's the good news. Heaven is really real. Heaven is a real place and it actually exists. All those rumors about heaven, of, of streets of gold, of crystal seas, where the lion lays down with the lamb, and all this stuff that's talked about, the light of God being present, it's an actual place. It may not be like the pearly gates on the clouds with the little white robe people playing, playing harps. That's, that's not heaven, and that's not heaven at all. But the heaven that's described in the Bible over and over again is a very, very real place. As a matter of fact, Jesus says in verse 20, but... Lay up for yourselves treasures where? In heaven. Where neither moth nor rust destroys. Where thieves do not 
break in and steal. Some people claim that, that Jesus never really talked a lot about heaven or hell. Right here in the Sermon on the Mount, he is talking about an actual place called heaven. An actual place that is real. It really exists. And you can lay up treasures there. You can invest in heaven. You, you, can, you can store stuff that's going to last in all eternity in this place called heaven. It's real. And here's some good news about heaven. Number one, it's eternal. No rust. No moths. They're not going to come in and, and corrupt things. This heaven lasts forever. I want to explain a little bit about the theology of heaven with you. So if you have your Bibles and you want to see more about heaven, go to Revelation chapter 21. Everybody loves the book of Revelation. Everybody loves to talk about the book of Revelation. Everyone always asks, when's Branch Life Church going to do a series on Revelation? There's a lot of cool stuff in here. It's a pretty crazy book. And man, it's, it's got some fun things to talk about. One of the things that makes the book of Revelation so cool is how much we learn about heaven and how much we learn about the future and how much we learn about the last, the last days or the end times. On a side note, some people say that we're in the end times now. They say that right now we're in the end of days. There's rumors of wars, there's violence, there's disease, right? There's pandemics, and, and we're looking for all these marks that mark the end days. And you can get kind of way into this, and you can kind of dive into the deep end of this and go, town, go down to crazy town and start talking about some of this crazy stuff. But here's what I know. We are in the end days. The Bible talks about us being in the end times, and it's been talking about that for a while. And all of these things that are happening are just confirmation of that. Jesus has a plan. God is still in control. And, and he is coming back. And he is coming back, I believe, very, very soon. So here's the question. What do you want to do with your last days? How do you want to spend them? Do you want to spend them arguing and fighting about the things of this earth that aren't going to last anyway? Or do you want to spend your time loving people to Jesus? Let me encourage you that if these are the last days and you are about to meet Jesus face to face, then let's take as many people with us as possible and stop arguing about the stuff we're not going to be able to stop anyway. We get to read the book of Revelation and it tells us about the end. And in Revelation chapter 21, in verses 1 through 5, here's what it teaches us about heaven and how heaven lasts forever. John says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Right now, you and I are in the first earth. We're watching this worship service in the first earth, and Jesus is teaching about the first heaven. The heaven where he is, where God is present, where he's sitting on the throne, where the angels are, where those that have died and gone before us are. And that heaven exists and it's real. That heaven and this earth are just the first heaven and the first earth. There will be a day after Jesus returns that the heaven and the earth will be made new. Look at verse 2. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven. This is the place with the streets of gold and, and the pearly gates. This was coming out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adored for her husband. These two were coming together as one. And I ha heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God 
is now with man. He will dwell with them and he will, they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death will be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. You see, as heaven and earth exist today, they will be made new. What is really bad, earth, what is not a good investment, this planet, will someday be made new. The sin and the brokenness, death will be wiped away. Sin, uh, sin and Satan will be separated and thrown into the lake of fire. And we will be combined together with heaven as we know it. And God's residence, heaven, will move to new earth. Where will we spend eternity? Not in the first heaven. We will spend eternity in the new heaven and new earth. We're going to be back. We're going to be back as a part, a part of this created planet because this is what God has designed for his resting place with man. God has an eternal plan. And when you invest your treasures in heaven, you're investing in God's eternal plan. You're investing in the idea that God wins in the end and that God will make all things new. And in this heaven, it's a good investment because heaven is perfect. There is nothing wrong. There are no thieves. There's not someone coming in and killing you and robbing from you. All of that has been eliminated by God. God, God only allows that which is holy and perfect into his presence. So how can you and I, sinful, broken people, enter the presence of God? This is extremely important. We can't work for it. We can't get it of our own. We have to be covered in Jesus' righteousness. And God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Be a part of this new heaven and new earth and live with God for all of eternity. If we believe in him, when we put our faith and trust in Jesus, we ask him to be our savior and our Lord. Then we are covered by the blood of Jesus. We are born again into the family of God. Have you ever put your faith and trust in Jesus? Listen, if you're wrestling with anxiety, with discouragement, with depression, and you don't know Jesus, the answer to that is Jesus. I, I want you to try it. I want you to put your heart in Jesus' hands. I want you to put your mind in Jesus' hands because Jesus is the answer for the problems of this world. And your sin and your brokenness can be healed and forgiven if you simply put your faith in Jesus Christ. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter how much life hurts, Jesus is offering to you the free gift of salvation. If you have any questions about what it means to become a follower of Jesus, you can always go to branchlife.church and click on our gospel tab where we explain in detail how you can simply know for sure that when you die, you will go to heaven forever. And maybe you're there and you believe in Jesus, but you're still struggling with anxiety. You're still struggling with fear and discouragement. And you still want access to the good life. Well, that's what Jesus keeps teaching us as we go through the rest of this passage. You see, in Matthew chapter 6, after going through verse 20, he teaches us this lesson, and starting in verse, in verse 21, he says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. How, what, what do we mean by that? Your heart is not healthy when it loves earth's treasures. 
Your heart is not healthy when it loves earth's treasures. If you put your heart, if you put your investment, if you put your treasures here on earth, that's where your heart's going to be. Those are going to be the things that you love, that you long for, that you work for, that you care about. Yet those things are temporary and can be stolen. That's propping your heart up for failure. But if you put your heart, your treasures in heaven, and that's where your love is, that's where your desires are, that's where your passion is, then your heart can be healthy. Listen, a healthy heart starts with putting your treasures in heaven. That's what he's unpacking. So in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, it's a simple instruction. Invest in heaven. Invest in eternity. Put your Put all of your energy, effort, talents, time in future investments that will last forever, not in temporary investments that'll just simply go away. To illustrate this point, Jesus then goes on in the book of Matthew into uh, an interesting passage. Some have called this some of the most difficult verses, not only in the Sermon on the Mount, but in all the Bible. To kind of understand what this means, in Matthew chapter 6 and verses 22 and 23, helping us understand why we should invest in heaven. Jesus says this, The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. First, let's just understand that thought. Your eye is the lamp of the body. We all know what a lamp does. When it turns on, it gives us light. When it turns off, it's dark. Your eye is that lamp. When your eye is open, light comes in. When your eye is closed, it's dark. Let's try that together. Eyes open, light. Eyes closed, close your eyes. It's significantly darker inside your body. Now open back your eyes again. Now the light is getting back in. That's simply the picture that Jesus is using. He's saying your eyes are how the light enters into your body. But here's the warning in verse 23. If your eye is bad, the whole body will be full of darkness. Then if the, then the light is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? You see, Jesus is using a physical picture to paint a spiritual idea. And he's saying to you and I that, hey, just like the eye being open allows light in, if you are looking at something that is dark, if you are allowing darkness to be what comes in through your eyes, then that darkness will be throughout your entire body. How do we put this in a way that we can kind of walk away with it? Well, simply put, don't let money block your view of God's light. You see, just like the eye is the light of the body, we could take this dollar and we could hold that up to our eyes and it blocks the light. It stops the light from getting in. When we put our focus on the treasures of this earth, that focus then takes our eyes off of God. And God is the light. He's the light for our body. He's the light of our lives. He's the light of our world. But when our treasures become earthly, we block that light. We block God's light. In just a couple of verses, Jesus is going to say, you can't serve God and money. He is absolutely in this passage talking about the physical treasure of money and stuff, of riches of this world. And this treasure, these riches can block our view of God's light. We can start caring more about this than we do God himself. 
he, he cares so much about this idea that Jesus teaches on this topic over 2,000 times throughout the Bible. There are roughly 500 verses on prayer in the Bible. There's roughly 500 verses on faith in the Bible. Two very spiritual ideas. But when it comes to money, there's 2,000 verses. Most churches are scared to talk about money. Man, because we don't want the people to think that we're asking for money all the time and that we're just trying to, trying to trick people out of their money. I, I hate that stuff, and there are religions out there that do, it, do that. They, they ask for your money because, frankly, they want it. That's why they exist. But a church that loves God doesn't care all that much about money. They just want to love God, and they want to handle God's money appropriately. And so 2,000 times in the Bible... They, Jesus talks about money. If, if I talked about money as much as Jesus is, it'd be kind of the thing that we talk about all the time around here. But why does Jesus talk about it so much? Well, number one, he knows that our wallets are the last thing to get saved. And he also knows that money can be the thing that trips us up. If you want the good life, if you want to be free from anxiety, from discouragement, from, from worry, then love money less. Love the things of this world less. Don't let this get in the way of you and God. Don't let money get in the way of what God wants from you. And so some of those verses that God shares about money, are one is in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, where it says, As for the rich in this present age. Now let's stop for a second. That's you. You're the rich in this present age. You're like, no, no, Pastor Josh. In my bank account right now, I got like 55 cents. That's all I have. I have 55 cents. I am not rich. I know other people that are way richer than me. You are watching this on something that probably cost you several hundred to several thousand dollars. You have a car or a vehicle or a house. You eat food every day. Compared to everybody else in this world, in any time and in gener any generation, you are stinking wealthy simply because you're in America today. You're in a society that has access to all kinds of wealth. And when you play the comparison game, you are in the top 1% simply as an American, simply as a Westerner in this world. I've traveled to other countries where there's entire families of five, six, or seven people living in huts with thatched roofs and sleeping on dirt floors, and they don't know where their food is coming from the next day, and their salary, what the amount of money they earn in a month could be as much as $30, and to them, that's everything. Yet, there are people that have $30 million and people that have $30 that have the same problems. But the people with $30 million seem to have more. More fear, more anxiety, more challenges. Why? Jesus says to the rich in this present age, charge them to not be haughty, nor to set their hope on the uncertainty of riches. The temporary stuff that can be stolen. Your riches are uncertain. They will not last, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. I knew a man who had an incredible job and he had the biggest house that I knew about. It was one of those kind of little 
bedrooms for a small army and the back the backyard was more like a resort with an incredible pool and a hot tub and, and this awesome yard and we loved going over there and hanging out and he was he was in the car marketing industry his company would send out pamphlets through the mail and those pamphlets would get people to buy cars and you get a percentage of those profits and people would pay him for it he was making a killer living until this thing called the internet took off and when this thing called the internet took off his little pamphlets became unnecessary and he tried to do everything he possibly could to pivot, but in, in the end, his business ended up going other, under and he put everything he had into that business. Today, that man lives in a trailer home. Everything that he has is gone. All of that wealth, all that he had provided is just lot, times changed. And his investment went out the window. We do not put our hope in the uncertainty of riches, but in God. If your hope is in money, in your next paycheck, if your hope is in your bank account, if your hope is in building wealth in some way, shape, or form, your hopes will be dashed. And you will have anxiety and fear and worry. Because what if someone's going to steal it? How will I survive? But instead, put our hope in God who gives us everything to enjoy. It doesn't matter if you live in a McMansion or a trailer home or in a hut with a mud on the floor. God can give you a good life, the good life, because it's not about the riches of this earth. You see, there's a question that people ask quite often. Can rich people go to heaven? It's a good question because remember, you and I are rich. And in Mark chapter 10, verse 25, it says this, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Get the entire camel through the head of a little needle, that's easier than someone with a lot of money putting their faith in God. Because when we have wealth, we think we can save ourselves. The problem with wealth, it's an earthly investment and it will not last because earth will not last. We must put our faith and trust in God in order to become a part of the kingdom of God. Blessed are the poor in spirit because theirs is the kingdom of God. Tim Keller puts it this way and it's some great advice. Your money flows most effortlessly, I'll say it right one time. Your money flows most effortlessly, almost, toward your heart's greatest love. So where is your money going? Where are you putting it? Where are you investing it? You're going to put your money into the things that you love the most. For some, parents love their children, and so they spend all their money on their children. Some of you love cars, so you spend all your money on your cars. Some of you love toys, so you spend, some of you love travel, so you spend all your money on travel. Some of you love food, so all your money goes to food. All my money goes to Coke Zero, because I really like Coke Zero. So where your money goes, where your greatest love is, that's where your money is going to easily travel. If you are laying up treasures on earth, your money is going to go to earthly things. If you lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, that's where your money goes. Is your money going towards God? Is your money flow effortlessly towards God? If it does, if you love God, then it does. But if you love the earth more than God, then that's a struggle. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 and 7 says, whoever sows sparingly 
will reap sparingly. In other words, whoever gives out to God but is stingy, then you're going to get something in a stingy way. But whoever sows bountifully, generously, radically generous, will reap bountifully. Each one of us must give as he's been decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Your money flows most effortlessly to the thing that you love the most. When we lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven, we must realize that it's got to be our love for God that we put above everything else. If you're struggling with fear, anxiety, or worry, the issue is not your mind. It's your heart. And it means that you need to do some heart surgery and apply your emotions and loves to the God of the universe, to go after the things that he wants to go after, to build the things that he wants to build, to live the way that he wants you to live. And if you give your heart to God, your mind will follow. But if your heart is on earthly things, man, your mind will follow that as well. When you love God, you think of this verse, hey, if God is for me, who can be against me? What can man do to me? I am worry-free when I'm in the hands of God. Uh, Mental health begins with a healthy heart. So here's the challenge for today. Invest your fill-in-the-blank, your money, your time, your emotions, your talents, your kids, your relationship, your car. Invest them in heaven. That's where it will all last. And so you're probably asking yourself one really good question. How do I invest in heaven? How do I put, I know how to invest in the stock market. I know how to invest in a bank. I know how to invest in my, 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 my house. I pay my mortgage. How do I invest in heaven? That's an incredibly important question. And so Jesus takes the time to answer that question, not only in the verses that we're about to read, but all of the verses that we just came from. God, Jesus has been teaching in the Sermon on the Mount how we invest in heaven this whole time. And he has said to us, hey, give in secret, pray in secret, fast in secret, and the God who sees in secret will reward you in secret. What does that mean? When you give to God, when you pray to God, when you fast for God, not for other people, not like hypocrites or religious people do, when you fast for God and just for God, you are putting your investment in heaven. And in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24, he goes a little bit farther. And he says this, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So how do we lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven? Number one, you love God. You love God. You, you passionately adore Him. You put your affections towards Him. When we sing songs to God, a lot of times they sound like love songs. Why? Because we are in love with the God of the universe, our Father, our friend, our Savior. And we look at His beauty and His generosity and His love for us. And we're able to passionately love Him back. Do you love God? Do you tell God that you love Him? Do you express your love to God in music, in words, and in prayer? Do you spend time with that God? There are so many things vying for our love and affection. 
But God has to be number one above them all. Above my 12-year-old daughter, who I want to protect more than anything. Above my wife, who is the most precious gift that I have ever been given. Above my house, above my dog, above my Coke Zero, above my truck. I must love God first. And then he says, second, be devoted to God. Be devoted to God. Be loyal and faithful to God. And be faithful to God by being faithful to his church and his people. When we're devoted to God, we spend time doing the things that God wants us to do. Walking with God, praying to God, uh, fellowshipping and worshiping God. I often think that one of the greatest first world problems that we have is vacation homes or kids' sports. Why? Because when we have a vacation home, as soon as we're free on Friday, we jump into our car, we go to our vacation home, and we try to get as much out of our vacation home as we possibly can. So we spend Friday night, Saturday, Sunday, we get back as late as possible so then we can hit the rat race again on Mondays. The same thing happens with kids' sports. You're only free on the weekend, and so as soon as we can, we get our kids involved in sports, and then they're in tournaments all weekend, and Friday and Saturday, Sunday, we get up and we drive thousands of miles so they can play the game and win the game, and it's incredible that they get to do this kind of stuff and it's so awesome. Well, the problem with that is I, I, I don't go to church when I'm at my vacation home. I, I, don't, I don't worship with God's people when I'm getting my kid to the next tournament. And sometimes we get more devoted to our vacation home than we do to God. We get more devoted to a sport than we do to God. And God is saying, hey, don't give up worshiping me so that you can have 20 years of sunsets at your vacation home. If you give me your 20, sun, 20 years of sunsets, I will give you an eternity of perfect sunsets. Invest in God, not in heaven. Can you have a vacation home and can you do kids sports and still be active in a church? Yes, yes, and yes. But it means being devoted to God first and figuring it out how to not give up your time with God so that you can have the stuff that this earth offers. And then he says, serve God. Serve God. Work for God. And when you work for God, you are investing in treasures in heaven, not in the treasures of this earth. You take your talent, you take your stuff, you take your family, and together you serve God. And that's going to have eternal reward. There's one man by the name of F.B. Myers. F.B. Myers was a pastor over in England, his town north of London was where he grew up, and he became friends with some guy named Dwight L. Moody. For those of you that grow up in the church, you'd recognize that name, a, a, a spiritual leader from Chicago. And, and F.B. Myers asked and answered this question. I want you to think about it as we close today. Who's the richest man in heaven? Isn't that a crazy question? Who's the richest person in heaven, man or woman? And how do you get to be the richest man in heaven? Well, you get that way by investing the most, by laying up the most treasures in heaven. So how do we do that as we love and as we're devoted to and as we serve God? Well, listen to this quote from F.B. Myers. He says this, he is the richest man in the esteem of the world who's gotten the most. Man, 
in, in the world's eyes, when you have the most, when you're like Warren Buffett, right? Richest man ever. Or you own Amazon or Microsoft, Bill Gates. Then, then you're the richest man in the world. But the richest man in heaven, he's the richest man in heaven, in the esteem of heaven, who has given the most. Man, the one who gives the most. And the Bible teaches us all about the one who gives the most. Jesus was standing outside the synagogue and this widow came up whose husband had passed away. And because her husband had passed away, she didn't have anything. She didn't have any income. She barely had enough to feed herself and have any clothes on her back. And she came wandering up to the offering and she leaned forward to the offering and almost shyly and sheepishly, she covered her hand and she dropped into the offering two mites, something worth less than the two pennies that I'm holding now. She put those two mites into the offering plate and she quietly said a prayer and bowed her head and then humbly walked away. The disciples were surrounded Jesus and Jesus said, hey, did you see that? That widow gave more than anyone. The disciples were confused because there were Pharisees and religious people who were coming and they were literally dropping bags of money into these, into these offering buckets and for all the world to see, making all kinds of noise so that, so that they could be esteemed by others. And Jesus said, this, this widow who came in and gave her two mites to God has given everything she has. Everything. She gave 100% of her wealth to God. And that woman, that widow, is the richest person in heaven because she gave the most. It's not about the number of dollars. It's about how much of ourselves we give to God. And when we place our hearts in heaven, we then have a healthy heart. F.B. Myers went on to start a church and the theme of his church became everyone a workman. Everyone a worker for God, in the community for God's kingdom. Not to build a religious institution, but to build the kingdom and the name of God. Everyone a workman for God. Everyone serving to God. Everyone giving to God. And just actively doing all that we can to build the kingdom for his church at Melbourne Hall that started in 1878. That's 100 years exactly before I was born. 77 members signed a simple declaration that said, since the one main object of our church, our union, is to seek to evangelize the great masses of our population, which lie outside our ordinary Christian agencies, since our one job is to reach all of those people who are not a part of our church, we desire that each member should be, as far as possible, engaged in some branch of Christian community work. Can you imagine if everybody who was a part of Branch Life Church was regularly involved in working in our community to reach the masses? Why? Because God said, go and make disciples of all nations, teaching and baptizing them everything, to do, everything that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always. We love God. We're devoted to God and we serve God. So where are you investing your time, your money, your talents? Where are you investing your riches? Where is your heart 
place today. Listen, if the money of this world is blocking the light of God, if any relationship of this world is blocking the light of God, if it's a vacation home, if it's a, if it, if it's a car, if it's causing you to live sparingly and not generously, get, get it gone so that you can start investing in God. Take a step this week to invest time, energy, and talent in God. Hey, at Branch Life Church, we can use team leaders. We can use workers. We can use servers who will give time and energy and effort to build the church because we believe if you build the church, you build the kingdom. And we're making eternal investments in heaven with our time and our energy and our church. Every one a workman. It starts with love and adoration for God. Because He is the one who is worthy. Christ is enough for me. So in these moments, let me close with this psalm. And then we'll invite you to worship through two two songs. Psalm 63, 1 verse 8 says this. O God, You are my God. Early will I seek You. My soul will thirst for You. My flesh longs for You. In a dry and a thirsty land, where there is no water, so I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory because your loving kindness is better than life. My lips shall praise you and I will bless you while I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul shall be satisfied as with the marrow and fatness and my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips when I remember you on my bed. I meditate you in the night watches, because you have been my help. Therefore, in the shadow of your wings, I will rejoice. My soul follows close behind you, and your right hand upholds me. God, help us to love you. Help us to be devoted to you. Help us to serve you, because you, oh God, are worthy. If you haven't watched the premiere, I want to invite you to watch the two songs on YouTube called He is Worthy and Christ is Enough. Just look those up and worship through those songs. We would love to hear from you and and we're so glad that you've been a part of this worship. So would you go ahead and fill out your connection card? If you have any questions about the gospel, would you go there and settle once and for all your eternal destiny? We'd love for you to spend forever with God in heaven, in new heaven, and in new earth. Let us know on the connection cards if we can get you one of those Matthew journals or how we can pray for you. I want to invite you back next week as we go into this idea of mental health begins with a healthy heart, part two. And once your heart is settled in the right place, well, then God transforms your mind. And so we want to encourage you with those thoughts next week as we continue on in this series called The Good Life and the Sermon on the Mount. Thanks for joining us. Have a great rest of your day.